confused. You got it. Hello. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Does that sound better? Yeah. All good on my side. Welcome to Role Model, where the game changers are here to tell us the truth, the nitty gritty of how they really did it. I am so excited to introduce you lot to today's guest, one of my dearest friends. (laughs) She's a supermodel, an icon, and she has walked the runways for nearly every single top designer. And I have had the pleasure of squashing my face against hers for Elle magazine. It was fabulous. She was the first model in 10 years to walk for Prada since Naomi Campbell had done it previously. And this lack of space for black models is something that we are going to explore today. We was feeding into this competition that there is only one. And then it got to a point where it's just like, this is actually ridiculous. At 18, she found herself pregnant. And although in the prime of her modeling career, went on to have a beautiful son, Riley, and then continued killing it in the industry as well. First thing that came to my head, I was like, I can't have this baby. But I was just only thinking about what other people would want for me. He was diagnosed with a blood condition known as sickle cell anemia. And we are going to hear how my girl is leading the way in getting better representation surrounding this condition and tackling the stigma that is only a black disease. This is what people need to see when I say like my son has sickle cell. This is when Riley's not ill, he has to go to hospital and he has to have a blood transfusion. We are going to hear all the tea about her engagement to music entrepreneur Dion Hamilton, also known as Sincere, her famous exes, and what helped save her life. She's a superstar. She's a supermodel. It's my girl, Miss Jordan Dunn. Ooh, the crowd goes wild. <laughs> the crowd goes crazy. Oh, thank you, babe. That was a lovely introduction. Of course, of course. You know I can say a whole lot more, but we're going to get into it anyway. See, I even had to take off my hoodie and oh. get a little bit more free with it, you know? But tell me, how oh, have yeah. you been? How have you been this past year with everything that's been going on? Oh, mate. Um, yeah, the past year has been like a roller coaster with everything going on in the world. And then for myself, like turning the big free O, it has been eventful. It's been, it's yeah. been, yeah, <laughs> that's all I can say. It's just been eventful. Yeah. eventful. So many lessons and just, yeah. <laughs> nah, I get that. I get that. It's the same for me. Honestly, I feel like I've done so many great things during this time, but at the same time, it's hard to um, celebrate the wins that are happening because it's just like, Where are we celebrating? Yeah, I hear you. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. 
I don't think that anybody really knows this, how you were actually one of my biggest inspirations to move to New York in the early years of my career. And I always talk about this whenever I do interviews because people always have this idea that models don't support each other and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But for sure, you showed me from the jump that actually you can just be a nice down-to-earth person as a model and you gave me such great advice. And yeah. so I kind of want to talk about like just the early years of your career and what it was like for you and where you were in your life when you first got scouted. Okay, so I got scouted at 15 years old. I was in school and to be fair, I was just like, I didn't really know if I wanted to go to college. Like the idea of going to college didn't really excite me. Mm -hmm. So when I got scouted and then I got signed and everything, it was like a no brainer, go college or go and do modeling and experience the world so obviously I chose modeling and um yeah like it was easy and I was just happy that that choice was made for myself and the fact that my mum supported me and she was like listen education is always going to be there for you this is an opportunity of a lifetime you can always go back you can go back to education at 40 at 50 whatever but like go and do what you have to do and this is a type of education that you can't get taught in college or anything you know this is life experience so Mm. I was very happy that my mum supported me and um, was part of my vision for it as well and so yeah like it kind of did happen quite quickly with everything like I got scouted and then I did a bunch of test shoots then I just went to New York Yeah, that's mad, by the way, because for me, I got scouted at 14, but I didn't go to New York until I was 17. So I I had so much time to kind of get used to the idea of what modeling was, even though I still wasn't prepared for when I first went to New York at all. But I still kind of got to understand a little bit what this industry was gonna not really what it was gonna be like because it was still very shocking but mm. I kind of got into the the process of okay test shoots these are my agents etc yeah for you I feel like it was basically you got signed and within a year you were traveling around the world so what was that experience like and how did you break it down to your friends for example uh I kind of just wanted to keep it separate everybody really wanted to like hear all the stories and what it was like, but I didn't want to talk about it. I was more interested in what's going on with their life. Like I felt like I was missing out so much. And Mm. in a way I kind of didn't want to not say rub it in their face, but I didn't want to feel like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm in Paris and doing this and that. (laughs) I didn't want to be that person, but I did struggle because I'm such a homebody and Mm. I love my environment and then getting thrown in a deep end and going to New York because up until that point my mum was everywhere with me like she would go to test shoots with me casting she would be in shows with me yeah and like honestly that made such a big difference and then not having my mum there and then like being in New York at 17 and being in the model's apartment and just kind of like defending for yourself was just like oh and so like I got really depressed like I didn't really enjoy it Mm. to the point that my agency was like okay bring a friend with you so when I knew that I could like make enough money where I could just like bring a friend it like made my experience so much better because model apartments, oh Mate. my days, I always <laughs> tell people this. Like, I remember being on the plane flying and they never showed me any pictures beforehand. No. And I was visualising some cool <laughs> apartment, like big pictures of like Tyra and Naomi and everybody right. on the walls. And everyone was going to be like fun. And everyone had like, you know, their own separate beds. This whole bunk bed situation <laughs> bunk never even beds. came to my mind. 
<laughs> like, mm, I wanted a bunk bed when I was like eight. I didn't right. want one when I was 17. Nah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So talk to me about when you first went into your model apartment, you first started meeting the girls. What did you first think? Because I just remember my face sank straight away. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that was me. Like when I first entered and looking at the rooms and seeing the fact that there's like six girls sharing the room I was like what is this mm. huh and then, <laughs> that's when I realized girls are nasty <laughs> like what what kind of <laughs> lifestyle is this why am I seeing yep. certain things why are you it was not- the bath brown it was just horrible I remember seeing like I've got a huge phobia of rats and mice and everything so I remember seeing like by the beds there's traps I was like no mate I need to get out of here this cannot be my life I remember when I saw one in the kitchen and that was the day I said I'm never going back to a model's apartment again and I didn't like I was like no this is not for me but at the same time I'm actually happy that I went through it because just to say you've done it as well because it is a unique experience yeah like people don't do that anymore now they they do actually they do still have model apartments but I feel like it's kind of different now because a before when we first started modeling there wasn't really anything like social media or anything beforehand so it was like you're just a brand new model now I feel like models can have a bit of a following before even getting signed and stuff so they'll be like oh I'm not gonna stay there because I want to have a place where I can do content and stuff and I feel like agents will be more like there's Airbnb there's this there's that there's more options I feel things are just so different yeah now seeing how the environment was do you feel that model agents should have done more for us to make the environment more livable thinking back I wish that they actually did have somebody who maybe wasn't in the fashion industry mm-hmm. like a, a therapist or a counsellor or somebody more along those lines to check in on girls because now I'm thinking about it I'm like well we turned out fine yeah but I'm sure yeah. that there's a lot of the girls who I've lived with who if they had a little bit more support entering into their careers maybe they would have had a longer lasting career or even just a better experience of modeling in general yeah, no, I, f- I just remember a lot of girls were just so stressed out because their agent was telling them that they needed to lose weight in their face or their hand or their foot in like 10 days or seven days. And like mm. that kind of pressure, like that is so damaging, especially mm. as you're growing and your body is changing and developing. It's just like, what kind of message are you actually sending out? So like, Mm. definitely feel like for things like that, that would have been beneficial. A lot of these girls didn't have no guidance and there's some experiences that, yeah, I guess you need to go through, but there's some experiences that you didn't have to learn in certain ways. I feel like we're in a great place where now like mental health is something that everyone talks about and it's the norm now. And I do feel like agents and managers or whatever are doing a lot more and caring for the girls. We talk about having to grow up very fast in the industry, but people don't really talk about that in regards to how we viewed ourselves. Mm. Now, looking back, I'm like, wow, I can't believe how many times I just felt so isolated and alone in the industry that could have easily been prevented if they had literally just provided basic things. Like, I yeah. feel like black models go through so much isolation in the early years of their career. Did you ever have any experiences of 
people trying to pit you against other models. Well, I know this, yeah. but I want you to kind of talk about it a little <laughs> bit as well. Yeah, like this is what I'm saying. It, it's crazy. The one thing that I love right now that I really am seeing the unity of models, of girls just uplifting each other and actually having real friendship groups and Mm. saying things like I'm only getting booked if she's getting booked like I love seeing that but Mm. like yeah in the beginning the industry really was trying to pit me and Chanel Mann against each other and it was mad because when I first came onto the scene like Chanel was the first person backstage at a show that came up to me and was like oh my god you're Mm. doing so well and And I like knew Chanel because I used to watch fashion tv and always seeing her so it's just like oh my god like this is so nice and then it got to a point where it's like people are in my ears people were in her ears and then we just didn't talk to each other and mm. then we just we was feeding into this this competition that there is only one and then it got to a point where it was just like this is actually ridiculous like we actually yeah. sat down and was like wait what is it actually going on mm. it's just messed up you really like you yeah you do feed into the madness and let it kind of just manifest Festa in your head. A little Festa, bit. yeah it's so so yeah. damaging when I was younger and I used to get castings and it would say specifically things like no Afro or they'll specifically imply details that basically meant that they didn't want to have a dark-skinned black girl. But how did you feel knowing that to them, you might have ticked boxes being fairer skinned, but you obviously have family members and friends who were dark skinned women. Did you ever feel conflicted when you saw these notes in castings or you heard like a kind of backhand comment about how you were better than somebody else because of your complexion? Yeah, you know what? It never, ever set well with me, even like growing up, like when people would say, oh, so um, where you're from? Where's your family from? And I say Jamaica. Oh no, but like anywhere else and I'm like no no you sure because you look like and I'm like okay if we're reaching okay like my grandma is half Syrian like because that's mm. what you're looking for but then it's like yeah messed up because like wait hold on are you trying to say that black can only be beautiful if it's mixed with something or mm. or just witnessing like with my friends growing up who were more of a darker richer tone than me and seeing how people would treat them and boys would say certain things like, oh, you're like the darkest I would go for or like it never, I I didn't feel like, oh yeah, I'm not like, Mm. it just made me feel uncomfortable and just made me feel this is not right. And that's not a compliment to me. That's actually disrespectful. And even me, I've gone to castings where I've seen like things like, oh, no black models this season. And it's like, wait, what? This season? Mm-hmm. So like black models are for a season and then that's it. We keep it moving and we carry on doing the fuckeries that we've been doing. Like, mm-hmm. come on. And then, then we should be yeah. grateful if you are that one black model that has been chosen. It's like, no, this is really, really fucked up. And to me, I don't understand how agents helped perpetuate that as well now thinking back and as a grown person I don't care where you're from white whatever as a grown person did they not feel that that was so damaging and so wrong and the fact that I understand that everyone has to make money but I feel like that made me realize from a young age seeing those casting notes being told oh okay yeah you're not going to get this casting because they don't want girls of your complexion this season they'll be like yeah it's pretty bad he he but it's all right I'm like Mm. what's he he about that hun Mm. what's he he hun (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I mean okay Mm -hmm. please don't spit the water on the mic (laughs) (laughs) but I, I I just don't understand And I feel not anger towards my agents, but I do question now, how could they have 
been so fine with that terminology, so, so fine with, with it, just, yeah. yeah, and just being told, tell the girls to be professional and just take it on the chin kind of thing. And now I'm like, wait, hold on. Why were you even working with brands who would perpetuate these sort of negative views? But at the end of the day, we were just seen as a commodity. I don't think models were really seen as people. You've always been very vocal, I think, about the treatment of black models and being a black model in the industry. But that's because you built a name for yourself. And so you were able to do interviews and things like that. But without those interviews how would you have been able to get that story out? For example, I watched an interview where you described where you couldn't walk in heels and they tied your hands behind your back. Can you just kind of walk me through that? Because (laughs) it sounds mad. And you know where we can laugh about these things, but it's actually mad if you think about it. Yeah, it's actually... (laughs) Oh my, my God, like, yeah, that is actually a crazy... That's actually crazy now I think about it. Like, to the point where I was like, I had tears rolling down my face. But yeah, they basically, I needed to learn to walk in heels. And so they had me like for like an hour or two, my hands tied behind my back, I guess to help with posture. I don't know. But yeah, up and down, up and down, up and down. And I was just like, what is this life? Why is this happening to me? But I, but then in the moment I was like, okay, you know what? This is what I need to do. Like I need to yeah. walk in heels. This seems legit. This seems okay. But it wasn't. It actually yeah. does sound like, like cruelty. I said it sounds like BDSM. <laughs> like, excuse me. Do you mind, sir? That's what I'm talking about. There's so many things that come out now. At the time, it was seen as so normal. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. So during my research, I found out a little bit more of your heritage and mm. obviously your Jamaican, Grenadian and Lebanese and Syrian, right? Yeah. So do you feel that you've got to explore all sides of your heritage? Well, I remember for my 28th birthday, I went to Grenada and I felt, it's like every time I go to Jamaica, like I always just, I feel like home, like I feel connected. Like I, when I hear them speak, it just reminds me of my grandma and I just, it's just so yeah. comforting. And then when I went to Grenada, yeah, I felt that same kind of connection. Like, okay, this is a part of me. Yeah. I haven't really explored the Lebanese and Syrian side, but I know that I love a Marouche. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I love Marouche and I've got Arabic writing on me. So there we go. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I got my name in Arabic, but um, yeah, I think it's super important to discover who you are, to really know where your roots are. And also for my son, like for him to know. I read somewhere that you have decided to not put Riley, your son, on social media as much. So I kind of wanted to talk about first how obviously Riley came into the world because some people don't even know that you have a son. Mm-hmm. And then I want to kind of talk to you about 
how you navigated balancing motherhood with your modeling. So yeah, talk to me about finding out about Riley coming into the world and how you felt and how you felt it was going to change your life at that time. Oh, mate. Okay, so I found out I was pregnant in Heathrow Airport on the way to a family holiday to Jamaica. (laughs) And so (laughs) I remember it so vividly. I remember just like telling my brother, I was like, Antoine, I need to go to Boots to buy a pregnancy test, store mom. He's like, wait, what? Huh? Huh? And how old were you as well at this precise moment? I was 18. So, and I was so shook. So I went into Boots, got it. And then went into the toilets, did my thing and then saw it. And I just like, like I knew before it stated that I was pregnant, I knew like that mm. I was, pre- I just knew it. I don't know why, not even just like the missed period, like something, I just knew it. So when I actually got mm. the confirmation, it was just like, wow, 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 wow. Uh. Wow. First of all, I was like, how am I going to keep this to myself on a three week holiday with oh, my mom? Yeah. I was like, how am I going to, what, huh? I just... Oh, it was just mad. Like, it was just so much pressure. Bro, if that was me, I'd be dipping fucking tampons in ketchup, bro. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that's smart. That's smart. But, like, yeah, so, like, going on the plane and having this and then being on a holiday, it was just like, oh my God, what do I do? In the beginning, like, the first thing that came to my head, I was like, I can't have this baby. But I was just only thinking about what other people would want for me. Just thinking Mm. about all of everyone, like, oh, you know, your career and this, you're young, you're that, da da da. Like, I was just thinking about what other people would want it. And it wasn't until, like, I sat down with it more and asked the question, like, Jordan, what do you want? And it was like, I want to have this baby and I'm going to make it work and whoever doesn't like it I don't really care so once I went with that I felt really good with my decision and the funny thing is it's like (laughs) on the trip we went to see a a psychic this raster man and it was with me (laughs) and my mom Mm. and as soon as I sat down my man wants to say you're pregnant and I was looking at him I was like, you wait, mind? who's pregnant? Huh? And then my mum was like, wait, who's, who's pregnant? And then like, she laughed it off. And then like, I think he could tell the dynamic that that's my mum and I don't, she doesn't know. And he was like, oh, um, okay, whatever. So then it was like the <laughs> next day when my mum was like, probably like on the beach or somewhere, I went to find him and I was like, okay, yes, I'm pregnant. But that was my mum. She didn't know, like, da-da-da. <laughs> and then like, he told me, he's like, yeah, you know, you need to have this baby. And he's like, he's going to be, he was like, he goes, yeah, you're going to have a boy and he's going to be so important. I see him in music. I see him. La, 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 la. And then it was funny. Like I finally told my mom a week after we got back from Jamaica and she already knew anyway, but like that was super hard telling my mom. That was mm. very, very dramatic and <laughs> emotional. But, um, Aww. and then, so there was that. So then once I, once I was really certain on my decision, it was then letting the world know, letting my agency know, and they were mm. supportive. That's good. But just seeing things like, oh my God, Jordan done is done and this, that. Really? And then finally, once I came back and it's people like, oh my God, like, oh, I'm so happy you did the right thing. And I just felt like, mate, you lot are so fake. I actually can't mm. deal. But that was a lesson for me to like, you have to live your life for yourself. Like, yeah. 
and that's when I started living life for me. And that's when I felt like I kind of came into my own. It was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not here for you lot's entertainment. I'm not here to live the life that you guys want me to live. I'm here to live mm. my life. I am the creator, the ruler, the writer. This is my story, not yours. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's have my child. And honestly, having Riley was like the best thing ever mm. and gave me a direction like that gave me more of a purpose of why I was doing what I was doing I used to see it as a job like this is now a career where I can set up myself and my son for an amazing life so it did shift my energy and my goals and my direction yeah do you feel that becoming a mum changed your perspective on the industry yeah in a way that like it changed me in the sense of like, I was not sweating the minor stuff anymore. Like thinking about, oh, am I going to get this show or this casting director's not fucking with me anymore with this or that. Like to me, that was so small and minor. I just was so at ease and so at peace and just felt like I knew myself. Yeah, it just kind of just put things in perspective for me. And especially also having a child that has, an illness it just made all of these little things like yes I understand like fashion to people fashion is their life but like I actually have a separate life like and I was happy that I was able to have a separation and a balance and be like this is what's real to me Mm. fashion's not my world my son is my world so once I became a mom it just put so much things in perspective hmm And as you said, you just touched on Riley's illness there. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it is? And just so people can be more aware as well, because it's actually very common and prevalent in our community, uh, sickle Mm -hmm. cell. So can you talk about how he was diagnosed, what went through your head and just the the challenges that you faced as a mum of a child who's been diagnosed with sickle cell? Yeah, so my son Riley has sickle cell and it's a blood disorder where the red blood cells, normal blood cells are like round and people who have sickle cell, their blood cells are like sickle shaped. So it's basically that there is not enough healthy red blood cells to carry oxygen through the body. So whenever Riley gets ill, the blood cells basically, cause they're sickle and they're sticky, they like clogged up and they block the oxygen to get through his body. So, um. Dealing with that, having to witness that has been, I mean, in the beginning, when I found out, it was a lot of guilt because I knew there was a possibility that Riley could have um, sickle cell because both me and his father have the trait. Okay. And my mum was always telling me, like, Jordan, this could happen and da da da, like, maybe you should go research this and speak to people who have sickle cell or who's a parent of of children who have sickle cell but I wasn't at that stage I wasn't really thinking so like afterwards once I found out while I was pregnant it kind of I just felt so guilty yeah Mm. it was just a lot of guilt because like I could have prevented this I didn't do I didn't do my research I didn't know much about this like yeah it was just a lot a lot of guilt But then I kind of looked at it as a blessing in disguise because then I would be able to help other people bring awareness to it and talk about it and be a a mouthpiece for people that haven't got the platform that I have. So 
that's when I started looking at it in a different way. The one thing that is really annoying is that people look at it as like a, a black disease. So that's why sometimes I used to think, is that the reason why people don't talk about it? Is it because they just think it's a black disease when it's a blood disease? But yes, it mainly affects people within our community, but it is a blood disease. And then I was like, oh, is it because the reason why we don't hear much about it? Because there isn't really like a face for the illness. You can't physically see it. Like if you look at Riley, you can't see it. So that's why two years, three years ago, I did a post about Riley in hospital. I was really thinking to myself, should I post it? Should I not? And it was Riley in bed and he was like, in the middle of getting a blood transfusion. And I was like, no, like, this is what, this is what people need to see when I say, yeah. like, my son has sickle cell. This is when Riley's not ill, he has to go to hospital and he has to have a blood transfusion. This is what someone who has sickle cell, this is what it looks like. And I think, like, for a lot of people, like, it was just like an eye-opener because they always have heard me say it, but they've never seen it. And so, like, for mm. me, it was just like, yeah, this was something that I needed to do for other people who are going through it and raise awareness. And then you became the ambassador to the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America as well, which is so amazing because that to me is what our platform is for. Yeah. So do you have any advice for any mums who were in a similar position where they found out while they're pregnant that their child will have sickle cell? I guess do all the things that I didn't do, like do your research, seek out, find groups of other parents and speak about mm. so you can hear their experiences and get some advice. Everyone who has sickle cell, it affects them differently. Luckily for Riley, when I mean, he's currently not well right now, but it's not like he's not in and out of hospitals, thank goodness. But I think it's just mm. about learning from other people think if you actually find people mm. who are willing to talk about it because what was what, what was shocking to me was like there were people in the industry that have it big people actually that have it but mm. you would not know about it you would mm. not know about That's interesting. it yeah that would be my advice just to do your research and seek out other people i wanted to speak to you obviously about your engagement. I was about to do it, I have it on right now, but you... Oh, okay. So it's there. <laughs> there do it. So I want to talk to you about your fiancé and how your relationship formed, because obviously before you were in quite a, a public relationship. Mm-hmm. We don't even, it's just we're sliding on past that one, sliding no, on. No, it's fine. We can but, talk on it on a bit, yeah. A little, because I kind of want to touch on that because... Yeah. That relationship, I feel like you were so much more public. And now with your fiancé, you have made things so much more private. So is that because of things that you'd learned in your prior relationship? Or is it just because this time around, you just wanted to do things differently? Yeah, definitely. My last relationship, I learned so much. I basically learned what I don't want in a relationship. Mm. And that relationship became public, not even by my choice that was out of my hands so like yeah but um (laughs) (laughs) you know what when you're going through like a breakup or a really bad relationship you can't really appreciate the lessons because you're just like this this doesn't this feels like shit I don't like this feeling I don't like this pain this feels horrible but I can look at him like nah I'm so thankful like thank you for showing me what Mm. what a relationship shouldn't be and started to realise what I am worth and what Mm. I will put up with and what I will tolerate and what, yeah, it was a lesson for what kind of woman that I want to be as well. 
Mm. So yeah, lessons. And how did you find introducing Riley to your fiance? And I would love for you to give some advice to uh, mums who are in a similar situation as well of meeting someone new and figuring out how to introduce them and when would be the right time. You know what? It's all on a feeling, but also timing is right. It's very, very, very important. And you just have to fully listen to your intuition and your gut. I just knew it was the right time because I just knew that this is who I actually want to be with. Dion is a serious person. Like he is showing me that he's serious. He's telling me what he wants. And yeah, it just, yeah, it just felt like it was right. And then (laughs) I just remember, because I was thinking about it earlier on today, like telling Riley that I'm in a relationship. He was so happy. He was like, oh my God, mom. He was like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. He's like, oh, so that's why, that's why you're singing so many love songs. And that's why you're always happy and dancing and da, da, da. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) And then he was like, mommy, if you're happy, I'm happy. And then he was just like, wait, do you think he's going to like me? Then he's like, well, actually, if he likes you, then he's definitely going to like me because we're like the same. And then he's like, and if you like him, I'm going to like him. So it's fine. But Mm. yeah, it just felt like I've never felt the urge to want to like introduce Riley to someone. Like I'm very, very protective Mm. over Riley and who is around Riley. So it was like, for me, like I just had to listen to my, to my intuition and be like, no, this is right. This feels good. This is the right time. And yeah. It's crazy because obviously I I knew Dion and even when we first met and we me and him became friends, he would talk about you and say that you were his dream girl. This was years before you guys got together. And I think he had a t-shirt with your face on it or something. Okay, that sounds creepy to listeners, but it wasn't that he just made it. He didn't just make it. But how crazy is that? And that's how your instincts were obviously right. And it was the perfect time for him to be introduced into your family because he clearly had been manifesting this for a long, long time. A very, very long time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm here for that. I'm so here for that. So any guys who are listening to this podcast, be crystal clear of your intentions. And maybe you'll end up with a supermodel. We spoke about therapy during Mm. our lap x flannels conversation so i want to talk a little bit about that and how you have used it to kind of better yourself as a person and how you knew that you were ready to get a therapist like when did you know that it was the time when i just wanted change and i didn't want to carry on the way i just wanted change the methods that I'm doing now is not working. So it's like, okay, time to, to, time to try something new. So yeah, I think, you know, you're ready when you really want change. And I like was committed before I actually fully like committed to therapy. I have done it in the past, but I kind of was just like, mm. Like in my head, I was like, I've got Jay done sus. Like I know, like I, I know me, I've read all the books. I've, I've like I written, wrote the books. <laughs> I really, I wrote the books. I read all the books. I've written forgiveness letters and I've burnt them and I've done this. I've done that. Like, yes, I'm on, I know myself. No one can't tell me nothing. And then it's like in the past year, I was just ready for change. And it was funny because mm. it's like, I finally am taking ownership of 
certain things. So before, I wouldn't say that I was insecure or I, or I felt that I wasn't worthy. I remember when my therapist said that to me, I looked at him and I was like, what? Like me, insecure, like me, I think I don't believe in my worth. And, and then the penny dropped, I was like, wait, wow, okay, yes. It all now makes sense. Mm. And you know what? It's quite overwhelming when you're doing the work and you're faced with yourself because you're legit like having a mirror and you're really seeing you. Because we all have this facade. Like we don't want to see the parts of us that we don't want to accept. So we mm, like- Very true. We put up this persona, like take that persona away and then you're confronted with your truth. The raw version of yourself. Yeah, that shit is scary. It is scary and it is overwhelming, but I have now learned to just accept it. I can now fully say at 30, I'm accepting myself. I accept me for me. And that's Mm. all the flaws and all, like I really am. And um, yeah, man, I think it's just, I feel like therapy is something that everyone can benefit from. But if you haven't got access to a therapist, I think doing the work on yourself, reading certain books, following certain pages online, like you can, there's so many ways you can do the work and like figure it out. Could you share some of the affirmations that you live by? Oh, for me, what it always like gets me so emotional, just saying something like I'm worthy and I'm deserving. I'm, I'm important. I count. Like, cause for me, I feel like I just put other people first. And then I, I thought it was just like, oh, cause I'm just a caring person. Like that's a good, that's a good quality. But then it's like, no, like you're actually not counting yourself in. You're not thinking about you. Even little things. Like if I'm dishing up dinner and I may be like, I will give myself less food cause maybe it's not enough. It's like, no, wait, babe, like Jordan, you're deserving. You're worthy of having more. Like, yeah, you can't go without. So like for me, those are like really strong for me. Yeah, because I feel like we're slaves to our own thoughts. We're slaves to yeah, our own man. minds. Mm-hmm. We overthink a lot. I think mm-hmm. that's something that is very prevalent in our generation. Mm-hmm. So those are very, very good affirmations to live Thank by. You. We have a closing fan question here from Aaliyah from Sydenham in London. She has sickle cell and had to give up her dream of becoming a model because of her hospital admissions and her blood transfusions. What advice would you give her in pursuing a career in modelling that doesn't put too much of a physical strain on her body? Hmm. I would say like your health is number one. Like health is wealth. You don't have health, you're like you're not here. So it's just making sure that just looking after yourself looking Mm. after yourself doing what you need to do to make sure that you are in the best form that you can be know your limits and speak up like let people cater for you let it be known that you have Mm. sickle cell don't be ashamed of it like people then then people can accommodate and be like okay we need to make sure there's a lot of water on set or we have to make sure that the temperature in the studio is not too cold or not too hot. Speak up. It's like, remember, you just need to look after yourself and that's the most important thing. 
That's really great advice. So hopefully Aaliyah can listen to that and understand that it doesn't mean that your dreams are over, but you do no. have to speak up. Thank so you. I think that's all that we have time for here on Role oh, Model. No, but I want to say, I know. <laughs> I'm so happy that you came on the podcast and got to talk a little bit more and people to get to know you as well, because you're one of the funniest people that I know, one of the most down to earth people that I know. But right, also, so babe, thank you. I just want yeah. to also just say how much I admire you and love seeing what you're doing and that Thank I just you. yeah I just love it and you are an inspiration to us all and just seeing you doing what you do like just don't give up don't give up for yourself because you like owe it to yourself to like take this world and just make it your world really like so yeah don't give up for yourself and for other people like there's other girls looking up at you and like yes if Leomi can do it I can do it thank you so much Jay 10 years deep in this friendship and I'm learning (laughs) stuff from you every single day so thank you so much for coming on Role Model and I hope that the listeners at home have enjoyed our conversation Role Model is a Something Else production produced by Harriet Wells. Additional production from Steve Ackerman. The executive producers are Claire Solon and Chris Skinner. Special thanks goes to Ellen McLeod, Charlotte Tahira, Jesse Donnelly, Emma Lansden and Mark Rivers. The sound engineer was Gulliver Tickle. Next time on Role Model. Your dreams are coming true, but who do you have that really cares about your well-being that can say... Okay, I see this is affecting you. Let's talk about it. Let's at least talk about it. Let's help Mm. get you through. That's so important. Destiny's Child, we had Beyonce's mom and dad. We had family. So it was run like a family. It was, even my family felt good that I was on the road. We were protected.